Hey, it's Brian, and just a quick heads up before we start to let you know that this episode of Christmas Past is definitely for the grown-ups only. So if there are little ones in the room, or even within earshot, save this one for later. Thanks. Do you remember when you stopped believing in Santa Claus? Yeah, I think it was like two years ago, three years ago, maybe. Do you remember how you found out? Um, kind of. I remember it was a couple... I'm talking to my good friend Hope in Massachusetts. Usually on Christmas Past, I share your Christmas memories. But this episode is dedicated to me sharing one of mine. It's a memory you have too in some form. Because it's inevitable for everyone who grows up celebrating Christmas and believing in Santa Claus. I'm talking, of course, about learning the truth about Santa. And this is why I'm talking to Hope. I remember the when and the how part perfectly, but what I don't remember was how it felt. So I wanted to talk to someone for whom all of this was still fresh. We take it for granted that everyone who believes in Santa eventually learns the truth. One day you believe, and the next day you don't. But when you think about it, it's kind of a big deal. It's one of the first major signposts that childhood is ending. It destroys a belief that you held firmly for your whole life up until that point, and it forever changes, for better or worse, something about your overall experience of celebrating Christmas. Earlier in the year, my friends at Tis the Podcast asked me to share a story about when and how I found out for myself. Here's what I shared, and at the end, I'll come back and play more of my conversation with Hope, and we'll hear from her mom, too, because that's another big part of all of this. What is it like for them when a child stops believing? So we'll get to all of that. But first, my story. I hope you enjoy it. Every year when I was growing up, the Christmas season announced itself with the arrival of the toy catalogs in the mail. They were essentially the first Christmas cards of the year, and they'd come from Sears and regional New England chains like Caldor and Bradley's and Service Merchandise. I still remember the smell of the ink and the binding glue and the finishing spray that gave the pages their glossy sheen and captured perfectly preserved fingerprints from me and my siblings as we poured over every page. This was mainly during the 80s when retailers could still afford to produce hundreds of thousands of phone book-sized full-color catalogs and a decade that produced more than twice its share of popular culture. We'd study the pages with all the scrutiny of a treasure hunter deciphering an ancient map. He-Man slippers, glow worms, a Pac-Man portable game, X-Wing fighters and TIE fighters, Hungry Hungry Hippos, E.T. and Mr. T. and Tycho race sets, Teddy Ruxpin, Speak and Spell, Atari cartridges, Transformers. It was the sacred text, cataloging, literally cataloging the heart's desires of every child in America and bringing our anticipation to a boil faster than you can say Thundercats ho. And one year, I remember something that really caught my eye. A set of magic tricks called Chinese Illusions of Magic. It was your standard children's magic set with linking rings and sponge rabbits and cups and balls. There were instructions and props for cutting and restoring a length of rope, for making small objects disappear. There were various silks and thimbles and plastic wands and maybe even a top hat, though I'm hazy on that one. I'd recently taken an interest in magic. David Copperfield and Doug Henning appeared in frequent primetime TV specials, ones that interrupted regularly scheduled airings of Chips or Hardcastle and McCoy. I loved everything about magic, and so I was completely taken in by the catalog copy for Chinese Illusions of Magic. 
Something about mystic secrets from the Orient, hidden away for thousands of years, revealed for the first time. I knew I had to have it. I'd look at the catalog page again and again, practically memorizing the description and its promises. Amaze your friends. Everything you need to put on a spectacular magic show. It would be magical. I would be magical. But what I didn't know at the time was that Chinese illusions of magic would play a central role in the day the real magic faded. Belief in Santa is gradual to dissolve. It's not an either-or proposition. It's human nature to hold on to deeply held beliefs, even in the face of unassailable evidence and sterling logic. So the belief erodes. It gets chipped away. By an overheard comment on the schoolyard. By a slip of the tongue from a grown-up. By little observations and logical connections made here and there. Why does Santa use the same wrapping paper as my parents? How does he get the toys from service merchandise? And come on, how does he fit down the chimney anyway? But some part of us wants to keep on believing, wants the magic to be real. And besides, there's an incentive to keep on believing. If Santa's real, then he can keep on bringing you presents every Christmas, and that's more presents all around, or so the child's logic goes. I don't recall exactly how, but I remember that by this time my belief in Santa had already started getting chipped away. Maybe it was something said by one of the older kids on the cul-de-sac. Maybe it was Kyle Keenan. That sounds like something Kyle Keenan would do. Anyway, my belief was mostly intact, but some of the load-bearing structure had been damaged. Like a game of Jenga, just waiting for that one crucial piece to be removed and bring the whole thing crumbling down. And that would happen on Christmas morning. At first light, my siblings and I, all five of us, barreled down the stairs and into the living room to marvel at all of the wrapped boxes under the Christmas tree and spilling out toward the middle of the room. There were gifts on the hearth, on the mantel, some even stuck between the branches of the tree. Large boxes, small boxes, some gifts too large to wrap and presented with only a stick-on plastic bow and ribbon. We'd squeeze and shake the wrapped packages, heft them to gauge their weight and estimate their contents, ruling out the obvious socks and underwear, the handmade items from aunts and neighbors that we'd feign excitement over. There were gift tags identifying the giver, auntie this or that, Mr. and Mrs. so-and-so from up the block, mommy and daddy, and of course, the man himself. I was sifting through the piles in search of the one that just had to be it, the one that kept me from sleep the night before, the one that had me practically shaking with anticipation now. And there it was, in the back corner, a largish box, maybe the size of a microwave, large enough, I thought, to contain everything you need to put on a spectacular magic show. And written on the gift tag, To Brian, from Santa. The way it worked was my parents would stumble downstairs, bleary-eyed and in desperate need of strong coffee, and we could rifle through our stockings unsupervised while they got their bearings and devised a system for distributing the gifts. They generally hand one to each of the five of us and tell us to let her rip. But there was always an uneven number of presents, meaning some of us would have to sit around out here and there. The whole process seemed to take hours. There were flurries of wrapping paper and camera flashes and shrieks of surprise and delight. There was film to change and small mid-action cleanups and bathroom breaks and stern rebukes when the excitement started getting out of hand. And through all of this, that microwave-sized package sat there, its festive wrap taunting me, 
I couldn't focus on anything else. The Mork from Orc pull-string talking doll, the Stretch Armstrong, an E.T. something or other, watching my brother open a Smurf, my sister open a strawberry shortcake, all just hurdles I had to jump to get to the real thing. Direct from Santa's workshop or service merchandise or however the heck it worked, it didn't matter. All that mattered was that it was there and it was mine and it was just a matter of time before I unwrapped it. And then the moment arrived as it was bound to do. And because of the way the number of presents was staggered, it was just me this round. I was opening the last gift of the last round and all eyes were on me as I blurted out before I could help myself, it's gotta be Chinese illusions of magic. And in that moment, right there in a living room at the end of a cul-de-sac in Stoughton, Massachusetts, on a Christmas morning in 1980-something, right in that moment, the final piece fell. Because just as I blurted that out, I saw my parents glance at each other. The kind of glance that parents develop to communicate non-verbally. This was the glance that said clearly and unmistakably, Oh, sh**. I caught the glance, but it didn't stop me from frantically clawing the paper off the box like a cat attacking its prey. Ripping and untaping to reveal... Not Chinese illusions of magic. I don't even remember what it was. Maybe some kind of art set or some nondescript car or truck toy. What I do remember is how, in that moment, I put all the pieces together for myself. They knew that the gift from Santa, the one that I was about to open, wasn't what I was hoping it would be. And they felt bad or guilty or something about it. And there was only one way that could be true. I had finally and inevitably crossed one of the first thresholds out of childhood. In the next couple of Christmases, I experienced probably my earliest feelings of nostalgia. Saw my youngest siblings, a brother and sister pair of twins, talking about Santa Claus, and realizing, as best a kid of my age could, that I'd never go back to that time, even though I may have tried once or twice to will myself to believe again. The next year, I actually did get the Chinese Illusions of Magic set, and this time with a gift tag that read from Mommy and Daddy. And it really was everything I hoped it would be. I amazed my friends. I put on a spectacular magic show. But a little bit of the real magic was gone. Well, that's my story, and I hope you enjoyed listening to it. But now, as promised, I'm going to take you back to my conversation with Hope and her mom. At school, kids mostly knew that Santa Claus wasn't real. Well, how did you feel the first time you heard someone say that? I almost didn't believe them when they first said it. Like, I didn't understand why they thought that way, you know, like, even though, like, the facts were laid out, like, and they said why and everything, I just didn't believe them at first, you know? Do you remember how you found out? It was, like, a couple days before Christmas, two weeks, maybe, and then I'd probably known for a couple months that it, that he didn't actually exist, but then, like, my mom, like, actually told us from what I remember, she told me, essentially, she was just like, I know that there's not a Santa, and I knew last year there wasn't a Santa, too. And I decided that I was going to take my lead from them, and so I would ask them, well, what do you believe? And Kind of to see, were they ready to let it go, or were they all in? And as long as they said they believed, I did, too. It was a little sad because... In my mind, he was somebody who tried to help every kid, no matter their situation. And it seemed like now that he was not existent, 
that it was kind of sad because there's not one person who's going to help everybody, you know. But I remember, like, it was a little sad knowing that there wasn't going to be as much mystery, like, to Christmas anymore. I was sad, honestly. I loved making it magical. I mean, I knew it was time, but it was so exciting when they were little and they believed. And it was just so sweet. And they would get so excited to leave a cookie and milk and... It just made it more special. Next time, we'll be back to normal sharing other people's Christmas memories, and maybe it'll be yours. The way to make that happen is to send me one, so record a voice memo into your phone and send it to christmaspasspodcast at gmail.com. Or leave a voicemail on my Google Voice line at 650-394-7162. Christmas Past is produced in sunny San Mateo, California by yours truly, Brian Earle. Thanks to Hope and Anne-Marie in Massachusetts, and thank you for listening. This show is a proud member of the Christmas Podcast Network, a collection of the best Christmas shows around. Ones like Deck the Hallmark, Bran loves Hallmark Channel movies, Panda thinks they're just so-so, and Dan hates them. But they are going to discuss all 37 Hallmark Channel Christmas movies that premiere this year. Find out more about them and all the other great Christmas Podcast Network shows at christmaspodcastnetwork.com. And if you're looking for more fun from yours truly, well then I'd love for you to join the Facebook group and check out the YouTube channel and follow along on Twitter and Instagram. The best way to find me in any of those places is to start at christmaspast.media and checking out the links at the bottom of every page. But while you're there, check out all the other fun stuff there, including show notes for this episode. I've even included a picture of me opening Chinese Illusions of Magic. And I'll leave you with a humble request to help spread the Christmas cheer, tell a friend about the show, help someone subscribe if they're new to podcasts, and I'll even send you a Christmas Past sticker if you review the show on Apple Podcasts. You can email me for more information about that. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join me again next time for more stories from Christmas Past.